1: Good evening, everybody. We begin the readout tonight with a win for progressive Democrats. 24 hours after the self-imposed deadline to vote on a bipartisan infrastructure bill, a critical element of President Biden's agenda, progressive Democrats have fundamentally changed the game, and Democrats are now closer to getting what they and the president want. As progressives held the line, keeping the bipartisan bill, known as the BIF, tied to the larger reconciliation bill and policies the American public think are worth spending money on, like child tax credits and free community college and action on climate change. The White House made it abundantly clear whose side they're on. Oh, and it turns out it's team progressives. President Biden himself made the trip down Pennsylvania Avenue to make the hard sell. Following the meeting, he made clear that the timeline for a vote was irrelevant.
0: I'm telling you, we're going to get this done. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter whether it's in six minutes, six days, or six weeks. We're going to get it done.
1: There's no vote expected on the bipartisan infrastructure bill tonight, but today's events are a death blow to the false narrative that it was progressives who were blowing up the Biden agenda. Progressive Caucus Chair Pramila Jayapal acknowledged that the Build Back Better plan might be scaled back, but that they are at the table and ready.
2: He was very clear the two are tied together. We're going to have to get. And look, he said, I support the BIF entirely. If I thought I could do it right now, I would. But um, we need to get this reconciliation bill. And, and, you know, it's going to be tough. Like, we're going to have to come down in our number and we're going to have to do that work. So we're going to get to work and see what we can get to.
1: And now it's time for the media to catch up. Instead of making it sound like moderate Democrats are the reasonable ones, Running wild with a narrative that Democrats were divided and feuding, the way we think about how Democrats fight has got to shift. This is how lawmaking is done. It is messy. But also, it's not about progressives always needing to bend the knee to moderates. And it's still the pair of so-called moderate Democrats in the Senate who need to get on board with the president's full agenda. Progressives are the ones who are trying to advance it. Conservative Democrat Kirsten Cinema left Washington today. She's back home in Arizona for a doctor's appointment. But the New York Times reports she will also attend a fundraiser Saturday at her PACS retreat at a high-end resort and spa in Phoenix, complete with a cocktail reception and dinner. And then there's West Virginia's Joe Manchin, who, like Thurston Howell III, just before the three-hour tour, addressed progressive activists from his yacht named Almost Heaven since they could only get to him by floating up on kayaks to make their case.
3: They made them hold
1: accountable.
4: I agree with you 1000%. We're on the same page, gang. We really are.
5: We well, if we, we have,
4: have here. Let me just explain on that one. We will get to that eventually, but right now we can't even take care. It's going to go broke in 2026. Let us fix and
1: repair no, that part. That's not true. true. Tax the rich. We're taxing the rich. I agree. We're going to make the rich and the famous pay. Eventually, he's doing a lot of work there. And while he claims they're on the same page, the reality is the country is on their side. Those activists and progressives in Congress—if you look at the polling—they're the ones with the popular positions a majority of American voters support the infrastructure plan and the Build Back Better plan. Both bills, once progressives, have been trying to pass together. And now it's clear progressives had the Speaker on their side. They have the White House on their side. And now it's time to get it done. As President Biden said, no matter how long it takes. Joining me now is Don Calloway, Democratic strategist and founder of the National Voter Protection Action Fund. And Eric Bowler, author and editor of Pressrun.media. And Eric, it's been too long. Uh, thanks for being on. I want to start with you because one of the things that has um, I- I irritated me and I suspect sometimes irritated you based on me reading you uh, a lot is that this narrative that the moderates are always the reasonable ones and the progressives are always the wild-eyed crazy ones and they're the ones who need to be reined in and back and put back on on track. I just want to throw you a few headlines. There was this sort of really Kind of, you know, (laughs) loving Axios, sort of boosting Axios piece um, uh, called Cracking the Cinema Code, which was almost like the way that, um, you know, the sort of, you know, John McCain treatment to sort of make her seem like this important maverick. And then just a few headlines. CNN, the left defies Pelosi as Biden's big hopes are in limbo. Politico Biden faces fractious Dems with his agenda on the line. And you can go on and on and on. The New York Times, Washington Post. The, The narrative is always that it's the progressives that are the problem. Where does that come from and why does that seem to survive when the facts are the opposite, that it is literally the progressives pushing Biden's agenda?
5: Yeah, they, they really are. And yeah, the, the the drama is just out of control. I mean, the New York New York Times last night claimed Biden had been humiliated because this artificial deadline had passed. You know, the New Yorker right. today called it a civil war. I mean, come on. It, it's it's very complex negotiations for a very complicated piece of legislation, uh, one of the largest, you know, this country has ever seen. So the press is really this is what happens when you stick to a narrative, when you, when you want when you want drama and a storyline and and arc and deadlines and missed votes and things like that. But to your point, it's key. Look, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is now the mainstream of the Democratic Party. And that the press, as you point out, is, is playing catch up. It, it, yes. it, is not used to cover, it is not used to covering progressives, particularly, let's say it, women of color in the Democratic mm-hmm. Party as power brokers, as being the center of the party. So mm-hmm. th- they're, they're they're catching up. And progressives have always been, you know, kind of covered as a fringe group or throwing, you know, rhetorical grenades and ch- kind of getting in the way. Uh, but as the last twenty four hours have proven, they are driving. They are driving this truck or whatever you want to call it, and and, and they're the ones who have to be dealt with. And the press is in love with the mansions and the cinemas of the world, and and, and they, they you know they want to portray them as super savvy and the ones you know who, who are holding all the cards and things like that. So yeah. just. To, well, simple. I mean, the press has, has never really treated the progressive wing in the Democratic Party as particularly serious. And, yeah. and they ought to after now because this has been a very serious and very substantial negotiation on their part.
1: And, you know, Don, the point I think that that uh, that, that 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 Eric made that I think is really important the progressives are the diverse. They're they're the you know racially and ethnically diverse part of the party, right. and they represent that wing. Um, and that is the base of the party. And because these are primarily women of color, they're making arguments on behalf of communities they understand. Kirsten Cinema, she very openly negotiated only with a group of conservative white senators. That's and right. so it, you're you're looking at the future of the party. Having a fight, it's only a civil war if the, if only two people in South Carolina had seceded.
6: Right, <laughs> right, right. Because right. it's two of right. them.
1: <laughs> anyway, your thoughts. Yeah.
6: Well, Joy, I, I think Eric is spot on. And forgive me for not being able to get my video together for today. No worries. But I think we're not only talking about the base of the Democratic Party. We're talking about the base of the country. And so let's, you know, history is important and we're not often able to get into it in these, you know, television hits. But the reality is that robust public infrastructure spending has often saved this country from the brink of collapse. Not at least twice in recent memory, 1929, the stock market collapses, and FDR comes in with the New Deal. And that includes broad public infrastructure spending that created a lot of what we have in place today, including Social Security. 2009, Barack Obama does it again, rebuilding after the collapse of 2008. The problem now is that when you're talking about broad government public infrastructure spending for the public good, now we're talking about those dollars going to a country that is majority and actuarially trending towards brown and black and younger and lgbtq and people who have been historically excluded so that's at the root of what this fight is about is do we want robust public infrastructure spending in this country for a country that everybody is going to have equal opportunity to participate in a robust democracy and so when you look at kirsten cinema and when you look at a joe Manchin. I'm reminded that these quote-unquote moderates are really holding on to an antiquated version of legislative uh, austerity, but it's really white supremacy. And we're talking about are we going to make the resources of this country available to all or available to just a few? And the Democratic – we call them progressives, but they really represent the expanding, changing base in the face of this country. I
1: think they should be right I have been challenged with the nomenclature. I think they should be called the majoritarian wing right. of the Democratic Party or the or the future wing of the Democratic Party. I mean, they're even holding on to the filibuster, the people like mansion and cinema. They're holding on to every vestige of the old as you say sort of white supremacist sort of system in America. To stay with you for just a moment, Don? You're a Democratic strategist. Adam Gentleson tweeted the following and he was, he was chief of staff to Harry Reid no less, Senator Harry Reid, mm-hmm. majority leader. I've been up there um, on late nights when it really matters, if vote happens shutdowns fiscal cliffs defaults and it really does not matter if the biff vote happens tonight the closest sort of backstop is next week when you have pre-recess jet fumes but even that's not firm isn't it the case that these bills often get negotiated at the last minute that the timelines are fake as uh, as you as you heard eric say
6: That is not only the theme of this week, but it should be the theme of Congress, and it's so critical that we have avenues like yours to get the American people to understand that Nancy Pelosi set this deadline this week. For her internal purposes, perhaps we can question the that's wisdom right. of whether or not it was smart to publicize that to the public. But it was a fake deadline. The real deadline was hit, and that was the deadline to fund ongoing government operations. We avoided, mm. averted the government shutdown, and that's a major victory, right? And, and and instead of talking about a civil war, we should be lauding Pelosi and Biden for getting that done over Republican mm. obstruction, right? And so that was the deadline that mattered. But I've been in D.C. long enough to see these things come down to the 11th hour literally on december 31st at eleven fifty eight, and infrastructure mm-hmm. package is passing and the country being able to move forward so that's the real deadline i really resent people in the media all the blue checkerati on twitter you know talking mm-hmm. about how jim Clyburn and nancy pelosi don't know what they're doing that's not true they're just not trying to tell you because we they're don't need another you. false firestorm right sorry jake sherman well, I mean,
1: here's the here's the reality. Democrats in disarray, Eric, is the favorite theme of, of, of the political oh, yeah. media. It just is. Democrats in disarray always works. But two things. Number one, we don't talk enough and we try to do this all the time. We made these wonderful graphics. I, I love my producers. They made these graphics. This is what's in the bills. This is not about progressive, being, you know, these labels. It's about what's in the bills. Do you want clean drinking water? Do you want high speed Internet? Do you want new spending um, on, on on things like climate change? Do you want you know your airports to be fixed? Do you want paid family leave, universal pre-K? These are the things that we're actually negotiating is things that our policy, you know, the country spent seven trillion dollars on them on the military or whatever. It's like it's not it's not about the dollars, but also the the absence of Republicans doesn't get any coverage. They don't exist here. These are highly popular ideas with 60 and 62 percent support. And the Republicans are absolutely opposed to them. Why don't we talk more about that?
5: Well, we just saw that with the covid relief bill earlier this year. Right. That was a bill that had 80 percent public support, yes. did not get one Republican vote in the House and the Senate. I didn't see two reports about what's the political fallout for the Republican Party for opposing a bill yeah. that was almost universally approved. You, you talk about, you know, the polling for the infrastructure bill. It's like a Christmas list for list for most of Americans. Uh, and there's just an assumption. And we just saw it with the debt ceiling. There's just an absolute media assumption. The Republicans are going to vote no on everything. Forget that, the you know, raising the debt ceiling has always been bipartisan. Forget that infrastructure bills have always been bipartisan. They're coming in with this radical agenda and and they are just disappeared. They just don't have a role to play in any of this. You know, the the press hits the Democrats. Why can't you pass this bill? It's so popular. Why can't you pass this bill? Because they're doing it with one hand tied behind their back. Right. This right. again, this is an incredibly complicated piece of legislation. And you've got the entire Republican Party essentially saying no. So it's, yeah. I read I read long. I read long reports about the update of the negotiations. The word Republican does not appear in the infrastructure coverage. And they love that.
1: Yeah, they're getting away with a kind of extremism that is shocking that you can get away with it in in a country where we have so much access to information. The level of extremism of the Republican Party is shocking and should be shocking. And I think we should we should report it as shocking. Um, And the Democrats, it's desiré with two people. Two people in disarray: Don Calloway and Eric Bullard Have a great weekend, y'all. Thank you very much. Up next on the readout: The Democrats' mansion and cinema. Mansion and cinema. The Democrats' mansion and cinema dilemma. Whose interests are those two representing, and how should Democratic leaders deal with them? Former Majority Leader Harry Reid joins me. Also with me, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison, on how everything playing out right now in Washington will impact the Democrats in the midterms. Plus.
3: Justice has to happen in this
1: case because the evidence is right there. I talked I talk to one of my absolute favorites, actress Jennifer Lewis, about her involvement in a new documentary about 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson and the disturbing unanswered questions about his death. Plus, tonight's absolute worst, pre-Donald Trump, could you ever have imagined school board members across the country asking for federal protection? The readout continues after this.
7: we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org slash future.
1: President Biden's agenda is currently being held up by two so-called moderates who seem to be more beholden to their corporate donors than to their own constituents. There's Joe Manchin, of course, who The Guardian reported in July made $500,000 last year off the coal company now owned by his son. He's also received significant campaign contributions from ExxonMobil, who straight up called him their kingmaker in the Senate. So it's not surprising that he does not support the climate provisions in Biden's Build Back Better agenda. But then there's Kristen Cinema, and we never really know where she stands. This was her incredibly disrespectful answer to reporters earlier this week, and by extension to her own constituents in Arizona earlier.
5: What do you say to progressives, progressives that are frustrated that they don't know where you are?
7: I'm in the Senate. I have... The progressives?
5: <laughs> there are progressives within the Senate that are frustrated that they don't know where you are either. Uh, I'm,
7: I'm,
5: I right for you later. As we've said before on this
1: show, Cinema used to be somewhat of a progressive. In 2010, she said that Congress should use reconciliation to pass health care reform. The following years, she even tweeted that asking big corporations and the rich to pay their fair share is common sense, not class warfare. And if you think that's going too far back in time, here she is in 2018 campaigning on lowering prescription drug prices.
7: Growing up, our family struggled to make ends meet and we didn't have health insurance. No child should go without a doctor and no family should be bankrupted by medical bills. We need to make healthcare more affordable with access to the lowest cost prescriptions and fix what's broken in the system. I'm Kirsten Cinema. I sponsor this message because every American deserves quality, affordable health care.
1: Well, but now Cinema has said she's against that provision in the bill, as well as the corporate tax increase. Might have something to do with the hundreds of thousands of dollars groups lobbying against the bill have donated to her this year. Plus, Salon reports that her former top aide is a lobbyist for J.P. Morgan Chase, which does not support that tax increase not to mention her extremely strange internship last summer at a winery owned by a private equity donor, where she also hobnobbed with other multiple multiple other donors at a fundraiser. So how do Democrats deal with Senators mansion and cinema and get Biden's agenda passed? Joining me now is perhaps the greatest expert on the subject, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada. Um, it's always great to talk with you, Senator Reid, and I'll just throw it out there to you. If you are in the position of having to deal with somebody, let's start with with um with Mansion, who you are accustomed to, how do you deal with him?
4: There's no state in the union that needs more help than West Virginia, and in my opinion, Joe Manchin's hurting his own state. A state of West Virginia would benefit so greatly with infrastructure. It's in bay, it's poor state in the union anymore. So with when with Senator S- um, uh, I think the thing with her is that Arizona is a state that is really trying to live up to the legacy that was established with John McCain. And she needs to understand that people in Arizona still look up to the legacy of John McCain, who was a a, uh, really a, I won't say a heretic, but he was on occasion, who was somebody that kept the pot stirred. I think that's what they need in Arizona, a little pot stirring.
1: And, and so if you do you believe that there is some because the old fashioned way of doing politics is to sort of horse trade with these with these two. It doesn't seem like there's anything you could trade cinema for because she's getting so much money from her donors. I mean, she's literally flown home to Arizona for a doctor's appointment that also includes a massive fundraiser. It doesn't seem that anything but donors influence her. So what else what other carrots and sticks are there? Well,
4: the carrot and a stick. It's the stick is the stick. that's the voters. Voters are not going to put up with this. I think that the press has done a really a good job of setting forth what she's been doing that has been really negative, not only for the country, for the state of Arizona.
1: And with Manchin, he also has a lot of big donors, but he's also an oil man. I mean, he founded an oil company. His son now runs it. He says it's in a blind trust. But it's hard to believe You know, if he says that he's not influenced by big oil, because you're right, West Virginia is a very poor state. It's also a state very dependent on oil companies. You know, companies like the Koch brothers have disordinate influence. Do you think that we're at a point where we need to root out the influence of money altogether, somehow get it out of politics altogether? Something like what was in that um, voting reform bill that died.
4: Without any question, the campaign financing is the root of all evil in Congress. It's very, very bad. And we'd start with something very simple. Be done yeah. with civil majority. That is get rid of the filibuster. It is nothing that, as Barack Obama said at John Lewis's funeral, it's part of the uh, leftovers from the uh, days of the slave owners. You've got to get rid of it. It's very, very bad.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to ask you to hold on, Senator Reid, because I want to bring in um, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington. Uh, She's also the head of the Progressive Caucus in the House. We were waiting on her to come through. So we I want to bring you into this discussion, Congresswoman. Can you give us any updates on these negotiations? Where do we stand as of now?
2: Well, Joy, the really wonderful thing is that the president also affirmed the need to do both bills together and made it clear that where we are is that we will not be able to do the infrastructure bill without the reconciliation bill. Now, he also made it clear that we have to get all 50 senators on board, that we have Mm -hmm. to keep all House members on board. And that means that we may have to think about what are the absolute priorities that we have and then go back after we get those priorities to see where that leaves us. But I think we feel very strong and proud of the Progressive Caucus which um, really held together because we are not going to leave anybody behind. We're not going to leave behind families that need child care and paid leave. We're not going to leave behind taking real action on climate change. We're not going to leave behind housing for the unhoused across the country. And we're not going to leave behind healthcare and Medicare expansion. And we're not going to leave behind immigrants who have held this country up um, through this terrible pandemic and for so long. So... Now we're working on what is the agreement that gets the two senators on board and that gets all of us on board. And uh, hopefully that will happen soon. And then we'll be happy to vote on both bills um, once that you know passes the Senate, once uh, we
1: get to the end. And just to make it very clear, what you're saying is that you want to see not just a framework, but an actual reconciliation bill pass the Senate before the Progressive Caucus is willing to vote on what's called the BIF, the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Is that accurate?
2: Well, Joy, what I want to do is make sure that whatever we agree on is going to pass the Senate. And you had Senator Reid on there. He knows they've got those rules where they can have a voter Rama. They can vote, you know, they can bring any amendment to the floor. It's not like the House. And so we really need to have these negotiations and figure out what gives us that ironclad commitment. If it's not a vote, I just want to hear what it is because I am worried that there will be, you know, misunderstandings or that something will change or that things will get delayed. Because the other way to kill a bill is to continue to delay it. Because if it gets delayed for another three months and we get into next year, all of a sudden the politics may not align for this. We need to get it done right now.
1: And so that's what we're Oh, well, Congresswoman, you know, you've already heard, we've seen, you know, Joe Manchin actually does talk to the media on like Kirsten Cinema, And he has said pretty openly that he would like to push the just the negotiations, not even writing a bill uh, on the reconciliation side into next year, which, of course, as you said, is an election year, which would make it very difficult to pass anything. He's made it pretty clear he'd like to basically stall or forestall even talking about the reconciliation bill until next year. That doesn't sound like he's movable.
2: Well, you know, I will just say, I think uh, both senators have been having negotiations and they have been productive with the White House and my hope is that we can all come together and pass the president's agenda. And that was the president's message to us today, that he wants both of these bills to pass, that one will not pass without the other, and that we both, you know, we all need to come together and figure out how to get there. So Senators Manchin and cinema are important. So are the 60 or so members of the Progressive Caucus that said yeah. that we are not going to vote for this uh, infrastructure bill unless we can pass the reconciliation bill because we're not leaving anyone behind. And I'm just so proud of our caucus for fighting for working people, for fighting for poor people, for fighting for women um, across this country to be able to see their lives transformed. That is what the Build Back Better bill will do. And look, there's good stuff in the infrastructure bill, too. Um, I want roads and bridges, and we are going to get it but we need to get them both together. And then I promise you, we will get this done. We will get them to the president's desk and we will have not only roads, Joy, but we will have families who can actually use those roads because they have childcare and all of these other things we're
1: fighting for. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, thank you so much. Thank you for scrambling quickly to get on the show. We really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you so much. I want to bring back in Senator Harry Reid. So you heard Congresswoman Jayapal. Does, in your mind, can this process work? If they're able to get an agreement that isn't an actual vote on on a bill, right? If it's just an agreement in the United States Senate that says we will craft a bill with X, Y, and Z in it, that cinema and Manchin say they're okay with and they agree and they shake hands and say that's fine. In your mind, is that binding enough to make it possible for progressives in the House to vote for the bipartisan bill?
4: In my opinion, I think they better be very careful. Senate is a place to kill things. It's a place that you look to get things done. Senate is set up to make sure that things move very slowly. I would be very careful about that. I believe that infrastructure bill is so important. We are all these terms about reconciliation, all these other terms. But what we're talking about is infrastructure. That's climate change. Getting rid of all the steam that we have around the country. A lot of it, at least. Doing something about our own bridges or dams or rivers. Making sure that American people have some progress in this regard right now. Uh, it's just a lot of talk. And I think that we, we need something specific, not something that is a. We'll do it
1: some other time. You heard it. You heard it here first, Senator Harry Reid, who would know. Um, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your expertise. Thank you very much. And you heard it. Pass a real thing before you agree to give mansion and cinema their infrastructure bill. You heard it here first. Up next, Democrats are running out of time to pass that agenda that they can campaign on in the midterms. We're going to go to DNC Chair Jamie Harrison next on his strategy and a potential boom in black Americans running for office. And that is after this break.
7: For the love of home.
1: As negotiations continue within the Democratic Party over the reconciliation bill and with Republicans nowhere to be found, of course, because apparently governing is not their job. What winds up happening or not happening will clearly be a key issue in next year's midterms. Remember, the Build Back Better agenda would check off a lot of the items that helped Democrats win control of the Senate and White House last year, including expanding the child tax credits, establishing paid family and medical leave, funding universal preschool and free community college, and more robust action on climate change. With me now is Jamie Harrison, chair of the Democratic National Committee. How are you processing, Jamie? Thanks for being here. How are you processing these negotiations? Is the reconciliation bill, in your view... Or the BIF bill, are they must passes for the midterm strategy to work, in your view?
8: The Democrats midterm. Well, well, Joy, thank you for having me. Listen, the, the message for Democrats going into 2022 is that we deliver. Democrats deliver. Republicans obstruct. Republicans don't do anything else. But we deliver. We were able to do that with the American Rescue Plan. But these two bills are essential. For our candidates to run on uh, uh, next year, and so we got to continue to deliver for the American people. And I can tell you, Joy, you know the the debate between 1.5 and 3.5—that is a beltway debate in the yes. barber shops and in the beauty shops. All they care about is what are you doing for me and my family and my community. And so mm-hmm. that's the thing that I am telling my members: you got to focus on. Just get something done so that we can go to the American people and say. When we ran the last time, we promise you this. Now, when we are in power, we were able to deliver this. Now we need bigger majority so we can do even more.
1: Yeah. And I mean, part of the issue, too, is that there were some big things that didn't get done, right? Voting rights didn't get done. In fact, the Voting Rights Act, Act, voting rights Act is on its deathbed. Uh, and police reform didn't get done. So does that make it more urgent because those two things weren't done? And if voting rights didn't get done, aren't you also going to have a hard time getting voters even into the polls because of the obstruction against them?
8: Well, oh, well, listen, we're definitely going to have to deal with uh, the situation at, at the polls. But you know what? We always do. And, and we will continue to do that. But what what voters want to see is that we're going to fight, that we're going to put everything on the line and do everything that we possibly can to fight. I mean, the reality is we have a 50 50 Senate and uh, and everybody has to be on good behavior and on the same yeah. page in order to get the vice president to break the tie. Well, you can't think that you can uh, really deliver. It. You know, when you step back and look at what Joe Biden is trying to do, we haven't done legislation this large since probably FDR. Maybe you can say LBJ, but FDR probably is the best comparison. Mm-hmm. FDR had huge majorities in the House and the Senate. We got That's a three-seat a majority in the House, and we yeah. got we got <laughs> we got the need the vice president to break the tie in the Senate. But we're still trying to do something on that magnitude. We need more margins. And so we got to get more, you know, we got to get more bodies in the House and the Senate to do even more for the American people.
1: The problem is, you know, the the more bodies argument says, but people say, but we already gave you more bodies and you didn't do anything. But let's let's go to this other thing. And this is one of my favorite topics. And I know one of yours, too. I want to talk about the South. There are so many. Southern races that are hot this year. And there are so many African-Americans running Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, Val Demings in Florida, uh, Christ, Crystal Matthews in South Carolina. Um, you've got Chris Jones in Arkansas, Mandela Barnes in, you know, outside the South, um, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. There's Malcolm Kenyatta in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, you've got even somebody in Iowa, but even Charles Booker in Kentucky. Why do you think there's such a, a, a huge crop of black candidates in this particular cycle?
8: Well, you know, Jory, we've been building on cycle by cycle. Uh, you know, about four years ago, we had, uh, you know, Aunt Stacey Abrams uh, in Georgia. Uh, uh, we, we had Gubernatorial Canada in Florida. And we, when you think about it, uh, they really broke. It started to break through on that ceiling. Stacy's, you know, we are really standing on Stacy's shoulders in terms of statewide. You remember yeah. you were the the first reporter that actually had, uh, I think it was all five of the black candidates yeah. running for the United States Senate on your show last cycle. And what we're going to see is a continuing, uh, you know, black candidates bring a type of energy uh, to to democratic politics uh, that you don't see or we haven't seen in a long time. They're yeah. able to galvanize the the, the, the the body politic and get people yeah. excited. And so yeah. I think you're going to see more and more black candidates uh, come up. I mean, right now we got six African-American lieutenant governors. Um, you know, one of them, Mandela Barnes, is running for the United States Senate. And I think you'll continue to see uh, the growth of African-Americans running on a statewide uh, basis and winning.
1: And, and not to meant, to say nothing of Stacey Abrams herself, whose gubernatorial race, presumable gu- gubernatorial race, presumptive gubernatorial race in Georgia will be the probably the hottest race in the country. Um, you the know, hottest it, race. <laughs> it, oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. Don Calloway earlier, who I'm sure you know well, made a point that yep. this fight that we're having in Washington in a lot of ways is about the diverse part of America finally being able to benefit from government in a big and, and, and serious way. Do you think that's part of why the fight's been so hard?
8: Oh, I, I do. I mean, you think about the Democratic Party. I mean, we are a diverse party and diversity yeah. is our greatest strength, is a great strength as a nation, but it's also our party. But along with diversity come some challenges. That means you sometimes you, you come from different communities, you come from different backgrounds, you think about and prioritize things differently. So that means yep. it's going to take a little more to, to get yeah. to consensus in order to get it. But in the end of the day, when you do, it's a stronger bi- It is a stronger product because of.
1: It. Uh, uh, amen, and it's more like what the country is. Uh, Jamie Harrison, it's always great to exactly. talk to you, my friend. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. All right, coming up. Oh, thank you. Coming up on the readout, my conversation with award-winning actress and activist Jennifer Lewis on the powerful new documentary she produced and narrated, "Finding Kendrick Johnson," that investigates the suspicious death of a black teenager in Georgia. Stay with us. <laughs> We now bring you the story of Kendrick Johnson, whose lifeless body was found upside down, wrapped in a wrestling mat at his high school gym in southern Georgia. His death was ruled an accidental asphyxiation by state and local law officials. He was only 17 years old. This was back in 2013, and his family still has questions, and they suspect foul play. There's now a documentary film on what happened to Kendrick called Finding Kendrick Johnson, the result of a four-year investigation into the facts of the case. The filmmaker Jason Pollock asserts that Kendrick's death was no accident.
8: We opened the body in this particular case and the organs were not there. Paper had been stuffed into the cavity to fill it up. Body parts are missing. Evidence is missing. And we tested it and it was blood. And then we did DNA testing and it was not the blood of Kendrick Johnson. If it wasn't
1: Kendrick blood, who blood was it? We know it was We know it was
3: If KJ had been white, we wouldn't have had to make this film.
1: This week, I spoke to actress Jennifer Lewis, who is also the narrator and executive producer of Finding Kendrick Johnson. And I asked her how she got involved in the project.
3: Well, I was on book tour with my memoir, The Mother Black Hollywood, and I did an interview with Charlemagne the God on The Breakfast Club. A young man asked me to take a photograph with Mike Brown and ask if I could if he could send it to the director, Jason Pollack, he did. And Jason in that photograph saw my passion and called and asked me to narrate this amazing documentary. Yeah. Let's, let's, and I want to say, this this is, please do. Uh-huh. I just want to tell you, it's the hardest thing I've ever done to sit I there can and talk about them taking this boy's organs and killing him.
1: I can only imagine. Let's play a little clip of the documentary for those who are watching.
3: A five foot ten kid decided to go head first into a six foot mat, then realized after he was stuck that he was going to die down there. And then he died down there stuck somehow silently with a gym full of kids playing basketball and changing classes around him. Then his shoes magically appeared on the top of his body. Inside, the mat shoved into the hole. His legs became twisted in the mat.
1: There are so many discrepancies in this case. The original finding that he died of accidental asphyxiation versus the finding that it was blunt force trauma. The organs being missing. There's so much here. Now, the filmmakers are saying they found new evidence. What can people expect to learn from this documentary that we didn't already know?
3: Well, that it was just a cover-up. Mitch Credo, the whistleblower, who was sent from D.C. to investigate this case, acquired enough evidence that a judge gave permission for an all-out raid into these people's home, the Bell's home. Now, that's a lot of evidence for a judge to give permission to storm someone's house. What happened? What happened after that? They pushed it all under the rug. This is one of the biggest tragedies I've ever heard, that they took that baby's organs, murdered him, and then took his organs. They exhumed the body and found that the child had been stuffed with newspaper This family has to live with that, and I'm here to tell you right now, I am going to fight for justice for Kendrick Johnson's family until that case is open. We are calling on Biden, the Congress, the Senate to open this case now that we have this evidence.
1: Let me play one more clip because I want people to hear the parents um, of Kendrick, um, here, are, who's called KJ, his, his nickname. Um, here are his parents as part of this documentary. Mm-hmm. How would you feel if your son went to school and never came home, never returned home, and then the next day you found out he was rolled up in a gym mat?
6: My thing is to uh, let people know that they have a voice. They don't have to be silent. They don't have to be scared to fight no more. They can speak out.
1: They killed the wrong child this time. We ain't going nowhere. Nowhere. My baby life mattered. This this case, uh, you know, is one of the most disturbing, I have to say, that I've ever heard about. The, the sense that there's a cover-up, the sense that it's a much bigger case than we've even been led to believe in the beginning. You said you've called on the Justice Department to intervene. Is it your expectation that you think that that is going to happen? Do you think it's likely that with this publicity and with you, with your you know prominence, oh, oh, um, do it, you think it'll happen? Oh, it's going to happen.
3: It is going to happen because I'm telling you right now, Joy, I am going to fight. I am going to use my platform for this case. I had that family here in my home. I gave them a big uh, southern dinner, Valdosta, Georgia. This is where this whole murder occurred. This is the same town where Mary Turner was hung from a bridge they've actually named in Valdosta, the hanging bridge, hung her and cut her baby out of her stomach. It's time for us to stop turning away from all of this. Justice has to happen in this case because the evidence is right there. Imagine being the mother of this child, 17 yeah. years old, knowing somebody probably rich and white are walking around with his organs. It's it not is- right.
1: It's not right. And, and it would be nice if we had an anti-lynching law in this country. That would actually be nice, too, because it feels like that is what we're talking about here. Jennifer Lewis, thank you for using your platform, for doing something so important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for it, being here. It
3: is my pleasure. Thank you, Joy. And I'm a big fan. I'm a big you fan of yours. Truth. Uh, you keep telling the truth, baby. I admire you for it. Thank you oh, so thank much. You.
1: Thank you so much. She is absolutely amazing. Finding Kendrick Johnson, a documentary by Jason Pollock and narrated by the great Jennifer Lewis, is now available on digital and on video on demand. And one final note on this story. Jennifer Lewis mentioned a raid on the home of two of Kendrick's classmates, the Bells. The Bell brothers denied any involvement and were never charged in the case. And an FBI analysis concluded they were in different areas of the school when Kendrick entered the gym. Uh, Up next on the readout. Tonight's absolute worst are prompting a plea for federal help to protect standard run of the mill school board meetings across the country because that's definitely normal. We'll be right back. Okay, remember when the fight against COVID was about the actual virus? Now, it's about so much more. It's a war against misinformation and political extremism. And it's all thanks to the outrage machine on the right, run by conservative operatives, the same ones that created the meltdown over critical race theory. They've kind of moved on from that nonsense, at least for now, putting all their resources into something else instead, the anti-vaccine con job, and making sure it unfurls very close to home.
4: We should take our kids, and we should pull them out of school.
1: Don't
4: touch me! So that we don't don't How much money me. did don't
0: you do?
3: Don't Don't Hey,
5: hey, hey. Whoa, oh, guys. Come on, come on. Hey, officers. Officers, please come to the room. We know who you are. We know who you are.
8: You can leave who you, know who you are, but we will you. find you, and we know you are. You will you never are. be allowed in we public again.
1: The once-fringy anti-vax movement has been hijacked and radicalized by a far-right agenda, which puts a dangerous target on the backs of educators and young people. It's why the National School Boards Association is asking for help, saying in a letter to President Biden, America's public schools and its education leaders are under an immediate threat. These heinous actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. This all comes as California will enact the nation's first coronavirus vaccine mandate for eligible students statewide. And as Justice Sonia Sotomayor denies a request from New York teachers to block that state's vaccine mandate. Look, mandates work. History is on our side here. State governments that began issuing vaccine mandates for measles in the 1960s had up to 51 percent fewer cases than their neighboring states without the order. Those are the facts. What are not facts are what you hear from People like this guy saying mandates will open a pit of hell or this nurse who claimed that the vaccines will make you into a magnet. Oh, I wouldn't mind being a magnet. You wouldn't trust these folks with your kids, guys. And guess what? Neither would these right wing operatives. Yet some of these operatives are even in those meetings pretending to be parents or prepping parents on what to say. Because in the end, it's about preying on parents' fears about their freedom not to wear a mask and to die in a cynical attempt to help Republicans win in 2022. Which makes the conservative fake outrage machine that's targeting school boards tonight's absolute worst. Oh, and before we go, a palate cleanser to end the week. Tonight's moment of joy takes us to New York City, where the tragedies of 2020 have been turned into art. Yesterday, an exhibit called Sea Injustice was unveiled in Union Square, including 10-foot woodham sculptures of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Congressman John Lewis, the three busts shining in the heart of New York City. They stand as an honor to their memory and, to a, rem- and a reminder of great injustice. And that is tonight's Readout